came out with sets of numbers and I plotted them on pieces of paper. Radio waves, radio waves. She sees radio waves, radio waves. Welcome to the Astrophys Podcasts. I'm Brendan O'Brien and today's the 1st of December 2020. Each month, we bring you two fabulous episodes. At the top of each month, we have an interview with a respected astronomer, astrophysicist, space scientist or particle physicist. Then, in the middle of the month, we bring you Dr Ian Musgrave's Sky Guide for the next four weeks, where he previews celestial observations for naked eye observers telescopers and astrophotographers. We also include a community service announcement asking you to wash your hands regularly, wear a mask if you can't socially distance effectively and isolate as much as possible as we work our way through this COVID-19 crisis. We also ask you to influence your local politicians with the message that we need to change our energy policies to move to renewable energy to mitigate climate change. So right now, we've got a fabulous interview for you. Let's zoom up to Sydney and enjoy. Hello, Shivani. Hello, Brandon. It's a great pleasure today to speak with the winner of the prestigious Louise Webster Prize, astrophysicist Dr Shivani Bandari, who is a CSIRO research postdoctoral fellow who searches for and tracks down the location of fast radio bursts and other transients using the Australian Square Kilometre Array Pathfinder, ASCAP, to understand their host galaxies and progenitors and the very nature of the pulses themselves. Thanks for speaking with us, Shivani. Thanks, Brendan, for having me. I would love to share my experiences and adventures with you and our audience today. Excellent. Thank you. So before we talk about your FRB research, can you tell us about growing up in India and how you first became interested in science and space? Sure. So I was born and brought up in New Delhi. That's the capital of India. And I did my schooling there. And while I was studying, I discovered an inclination for science. So as a kid, when I first saw an image of the Earth, I was literally mind blown. Who took this picture? How was this picture taken? What's above the blue skies? Why the water is not falling in the space? Well, these are some of the thoughts that came across my mind. And I remember troubling my parents with all sorts of questions and they were just scratching their heads all the time. I also used to think that sky is full of little shiny rocks because I knew the moon was a rock So things starting to become clear when I learned about gravity, stars, and the physics of things around us. And therefore, my curiosity kept on growing 
and I ultimately grew up watching episodes of Brian Greene and Carl Sagan and I was lured into astronomy by this beautiful and colorful Hubble images of the sky and also since in India there are a lot of power cuts so thanks to those power cuts I actually started to notice the night sky and therefore gradually developing my love for space and science. Ah, that's so cool. So could you tell us a little about your school days and your early ambitions and did those ambitions change? So as I mentioned, I had a strong penchant for science when I was growing up. So I ended up studying science, opting science for my 11th standard. And I was really good in physics and chemistry. Also, I was a member of the Amateur Astronomical Society of Delhi, which is based in Nehru Planetarium. And we used to actively participate in various events organized by the planetarium. I remember pleasing my parents so that I could attend the night sky observation session, especially on meteor shower nights or the night when there's a lunar eclipse and such events. So after schooling, it wasn't really clear how to start a career in astronomy. And there wasn't a lot of guidance around and we, we didn't have internet. So during the final year of my school, uh, like most other kids and my friends, I, I started my preparations for the mighty entrance exams. And that was a really stressful time. And I didn't really get a chance to think about my liking for astronomy. I think during that time, I was brainwashed a bit by those coaching centers. So the aim during that time was to actually get into one of the IITs and IIT is like the best college of India. It's like the MIT of India. And that was the aim during that whole time. And guess what? I was so bad at these <laughs> timed stressful entrance tests. And I get so nervous and I just keep looking at the clock and just forget about the test. So that was a really stressful for me. But however, I ended up scoring well in my final year board exams. And I got admission in one of the prestigious universities, that's the Delhi University, to actually study physics. But however, my parents were still trying to get me into an engineering college because someone told them that the scope is really good. After doing engineering, you get a nice job and then your life will be set. And I think that's still the misconception that is there today because there are so many people who are just after their high school, they are just directly going into engineering. However, I left my bachelor's degree in physics and I got enrolled for a bachelor in technology in electronics at KIT College, uh, which is in the neighboring state of Haryana. So I used to travel up and down every 6 a.m., take a bus and come back at 7 p.m. And I really enjoyed those four years of my degree, um, learning about electronics, satellites, communications, etc. But uh, during that time, astronomy was still a hobby. And after my degree, when I got placed in a core electronics company, I did not enjoy my work. I left the job and I finally decided to pursue science. And since then, I have been enjoying every bit of my journey. Okay, let's talk about some of your journey. After leaving industry, it's back to study and you moved 2,000 kilometers south to Bengaluru to the Raman Research Institute under the guidance of Professor Dwakanath, where you learnt how to image the sky at radio wavelengths sent it up to Pune for an internship at the National Centre for Radiophysics. Then that moved down to Australia for an internship at ICRA, 
the International Centre for Radio Astronomy Research in Perth. Then you put in a successful application to do your PhD at Swinburne University in Melbourne. And there you were supervised by a couple of legends, including Professor Matthew Bowles and Professor Tara Murphy. Can you tell us about that move from India to Australia and how the first 12 months went, please, Shivani? So when I first moved to Australia, I think that was in November 2013. I was in Perth for the first three months and so before settling in Melbourne for my PhD at Swinburne University. I was excited. Like it was my very first international trip ever. And that to Australia, it was amazing. And when I landed, I found Australia really beautiful and clean. The people were really, really lovely and friendly. Initially, I was living with Matthew Bales and his family. And I still remember Matthew making me a cup of coffee on the very first day I arrived. And that's how I got introduced to Melbourne's amazing coffee. Melbourne and and also Swinburne uh, is a very multicultural place. There are a lot of international students. So I didn't really face many problems settling in. And also people were always there to help within the group. But work-wise, it was a very, very steep learning curve. Sometimes I felt stupid and lost and I thought I'm not good enough. But then I had amazing supervisors to guide. So that was just a phase and, and I was over it. And then I was able to continue with my research, got good results. So everything was happening then. The research group had so much expertise. So there was always something new to learn every day. I was appreciated for my work and it was really, really motivating. And the fun part was that every month or so, we used to travel to the Malonglo Radio Observatory for observations. And I was enjoying every bit of my work. So I would say that the first 12 months was an absolutely amazing experience. And I learned a lot in my first 12 months in Australia. Yeah, and it was very productive. Your 2018 PhD thesis is fabulous. A study of slow and fast radio transients, where you describe how you made four FRB discoveries in real time using the Parkes Radio Telescope and then conducted rapid follow-up at 12 major facilities, which were sensitive to radio, optical, X-ray, gamma-ray photons and neutrinos even on timescales ranging from an hour up to a few months post-burst. And we'll talk about FRBs in a bit of detail soon. But first, Shivani, can you tell us about that superb survey? What is it? And how has working in that collaboration helped you develop as a research scientist? Thanks for the question, Brendan. So SUPERB stands for Survey for Pulsars and Extragalactic Radio Burst. It's one of the amazing acronyms that I have came across being in astronomy because astronomers are not very fond of fancy acronyms. And it was led by my supervisor, Evan Keane, who is now based at the SKA headquarters in Manchester. So SUPERB was a, a big survey project that was using the 64-meter CSRO Parkes Radio Telescope to search for rapidly rotating neutron stars called pulsars and also the newly discovered mysterious cosmic explosions called the fast radio bursts or FRBs. The very first FRBs discovered with Parkes 
were found to be in the archival high time resolution survey data. So the lag between an event happening and astronomers knowing about it was years. And this isn't very helpful if you want to understand what causes these bursts. So Superb was the first survey to search for these bursts in the real time. So this helped us in reducing the lag of years to just tens of seconds. So essentially we get an email within 20 seconds of the burst hitting our telescope. And this was absolutely amazing because for the very first time, this real-time detection enabled the multi-wavelength follow-up, which is basically asking as many telescopes around the world at different wavelengths to look at the same patch of the sky from where an FRB had happened and just observe that so that we can find any clues to reveal the true nature of fast radio bursts. So under this project, I led the follow-up observation of four real-time FRBs, which mostly involved a lot of observations, data inspection, and also coordinating with lots of collaborators around the globe. And my very first scientific publications, which was published in monthly notices, included more than 100 co-authors. So I learned a lot to work in a big collaboration. And this is one of the essential skills as nowadays astronomy is very collaborative in nature. Yeah, very true. So right now you're a postdoc CSIRO research scientist based in Sydney and working out of the Marsfield site. So even before the COVID era, radio astronomers were mainly working remotely, either using archival data or logging into instruments over the internet. But there really is something special about seeing the instruments up close and personal. Could you tell us about your impressions when you first visited the ASCAP array and what is the ASCAP array and what sort of instruments are strapped onto these dishes? Yeah, so ASCAP stands for the Australian Square Kilometre Array Pathfinder. It's a 36-dish radio telescope, which is owned and operated by Commonwealth Science and Industrial Research Organization, or CSRO for short. Each antenna is 12 meter in diameter, and they are spread over six kilometer regions, situated at the Radio Quiet Murchison Radio Observatory, which is about 300 kilometer northwest of Geraldton, Western Australia. It's basically a precursor to the future square kilometer array. So the amazing thing about these ASCAP dishes is that each of this dish is equipped with an innovative CSIO design phased array feed. It is the next generation instrument. So this phased array feed basically gives an enormous field of view. So each dish can see 36 circular patches on the sky which is about 100 times the size of a full moon. So this massive field of view is a big advantage, especially when you are searching for things that go bang in the sky. Yeah. To, be, to be more technical, it contains more than 7,000 receivers, 20,000 lasers, 15,500 kilometers of optical fiber running down, and it is powered by 5,000 panel solar array which is enough to power 
400 Australian homes. And data-wise, the instrument is a beast. The raw data rate is about 10 trillion measurements per second, which was about 10% of the 2019 global internet traffic. And I was really, really lucky to visit the ASCAP site and see the dishes and this massive electronics, just experience it by being on site. MRO is not a very visitor friendly uh, compared to the other telescope sites such as Parks and Compact Array, they have a visitor center. But for visiting MRO and ASCAP, you really need to have a good reason or a special purpose for your visit. So my special purpose was that I participated in the Paya Vajari outreach program, where I got a chance to talk about myself, my research, and the outstanding research that is being done with these ASCAP telescopes in the outback. And talking to these local kids in the local school was an amazing experience. And I do hope I inspired them um, a little bit. And yes, my personal experience of visiting ASCAP was fantastic. I got to see these telescopes in action in the wide orange deserts and also the big machinery behind them. And as you said, Brandon, it, it is always something special about seeing the instruments up close and personal and also be able to drive them and be able to feel the machinery obeying your command. It's a truly an experience and it's a very amazing experience. And I think everyone should visit these telescope sites not particularly ASCAP, but any other telescope sites to be able to feel that amazing experience. Yes, I'm very sure you've inspired those kids in the Outback School, Shivani. I'd love to do an interview over at ASCAP or the MRA, and I'm very envious. Now, if anyone wants to see this array, just do an internet search for Alex Sherney. ASCAP, C-H-E-R-N-E-Y. Great photographer, amazing photos and outstanding science like yours coming out of ASCAP. So let's put our propeller hats on now and look at one of your recent first author papers, Shivani, in the Astrophysical Journal Letters back in June 2020. The host galaxies and progenitors of fast radio bursts localised with the Australian Square Kilometre Array Pathfinder. Now, what do we now know about the galaxies that have repeating FRBs compared to galaxies that have singular FRBs? Uh, that's again a really good question, Brandon. Uh, but I think before jumping to answer that question, I would like to take a step back and do a brief recap of what FRBs are and what we know about their galaxies so as to set the scene for our audience. So fast radio bursts are these really bright millisecond duration radio flashes, which are coming from halfway across the universe. Some repeat and some are single bursts, which are never to be detected again. Uh, a couple of years ago, localization of FRBs to their host galaxies was an urgent observational priority to understand what they really are. And in 2017, we only knew the host galaxy of one FRB, and that too because the source is emitting repeating radio signals as compared to the one of first. 
we learned that the repeating FRB named FRB 121102 originates from a very small galaxy which is making lots and lots of stars. So it has a really high star formation rate. It was speculated that since the galaxy is so busy in making stars, the source of FRB 121102 is likely to be a young source. And mind you, in astronomical sense, young means one to 10 mega year. So you, you cannot compare to um, the, for human timescales. So however, when we turned on ASCAP in its localization mode, making it a powerful telescope to localize these one-off bursts, which aren't repeating, we found that these FRBs were coming from the outskirts of massive galaxies, which are moderately making stars, something similar to our own home, our own Milky Way galaxy. So the host galaxy of ASCAP localized FRBs were very different from the host of the very first repeating FRB in terms of its mass, its size, and how many stars it was making. But then the second repeating FRB was localized. And guess what? The galaxy was also very different from the galaxy of the very first repeating FRB 121102. It's a beautiful and massive spiral galaxy. So at this stage, we are really, very really confused and it is very unclear if there are many differences between the hosts of repeating and apparently non-repeating FRB. But what we can tell is that FRBs can come from galaxies with diverse property and diverse local environments. Whoa, well, the mystery goes on, Shivani. Well, from that same paper of yours, what can we say about the progenitors of FRBs and are magnetars firming up as the generators of FRBs? Sure. So we found that the sources of at least the ASCAP localized FRBs prefer quieter suburbs of the galaxy than the downtown busy center. So we immediately knew that the astrophysical source of FRB has nothing to do with the monstrous supermassive black holes that live in the heart of these galaxies. So using that evidence, we were able to rule out theories which are related to cosmic superstrings and active galactic nuclei or AGNs. And not only that, we also conducted a demographic analysis of the stars in the galaxy and found broad demographics than previously thought. Magnetars, which can be produced as a result of colliding compact objects such as neutron stars, and also those produced in an explosion during the death of the massive star remains likely sources of FRBs. Okay, so there you have it. Magnetars firming up as likely suspects for the production of FRBs. I think this is about our fifth episode with a focus on FRBs. And over the last five years... We've had some very powerful radio telescopes now looking for FRBs and we can reasonably expect an avalanche of FRB discoveries from Chime and Fast and Meerkat and Parks and Malonglo and ASCAP, just to name a few. Now, how far away do you think we are from really understanding 
both singular and repeating FRBs? And do you think we will find a single mechanism? Yeah, so our understanding of FRBs has definitely grown in the past few years. And thanks to all the facilities that you have just mentioned that have come online and they are truly making groundbreaking discoveries in this field. The localization of FRBs have enabled the studies of their local environment in their host galaxies, which is really important in understanding their origins. We are also learning a lot about the FRB signal itself by analyzing the high time resolution, frequency evolution, and the polarization properties of the signal. I feel that finding and studying the extreme cases of the FRB population will eventually solve their mysteries. For example, an exciting event happened early this year when a magnetar in our very own galaxy gave off an FRB-like burst. It lasted for a couple of milliseconds and was also coincident with an X-ray signal. The magnetar, which is called SGR 1935 plus 2154, is indeed an interesting source and it's definitely bridging the energy gap to extragalactic FRBs. However, despite this groundbreaking detection, FRBs are far from a solved problem. This source cannot explain everything we know about the FRBs, everything we have observed about FRBs. For example, the faintest FRB signal that we have seen is still 40 times brighter. And if I talk about the sample of ASCAP FRBs, they are about six orders of magnitude, a million times brighter than the claimed galactic FRB. That is a lot of energy. Is it really the same source? Well, the more observations and more detections will tell us. Also, there are a few questions like, can SGR-like burst in our local universe explain the observed FRB rate? We know that about 2,000 to 3,000 FRBs are happening in our sky every day. Can SGR-like burst explain that event rate? And also, the, some, and also some of the properties that we have seen from the magnetar burst are a bit different from the properties of the repeating FRB. For example, the magnetar bursts do not show a lot of downward frequency drifting, which is popularly known as sad trombone effect. Yep. And also, can magnetars explain the periodicity which are seen, which is seen in two of the repeating FRBs? Well, we don't know. More observations will tell. So, and also, uh, according to the host galaxy analysis, the host galaxy properties show that FRB can come from very active, vibrant, and also very dull and dead galaxies. Can magnetars exist in those very different environments? Or are there two different channels of productions for magnetars? So I would say that magnetars, such as the one in our own galaxy, may be the source of a population of observed FRB, but definitely more FRB discoveries and their investigation is required to claim a single mechanism for FRBs. And I think we are definitely moving ahead in the right direction. Uh, I think you're in one of the most exciting areas of research. So here we are in 2020 and COVID-19 has had a huge impact worldwide. 
How has the impact been on your research, Savani? Yeah, so I have been working from home since March this year. And personally, I really miss having the corridor chats with my colleagues, traveling for work, attending conferences, workshops, and making new collaborations. I was so excited about the FRB 2020 meeting in Thailand, but that ended up being a virtual meeting, which wasn't as effective as I would say face-to-face meeting, but it was good enough because we were updated of what different telescopes and what different facilities are doing in the field of research, uh, especially FRB research. So it was a good thing to be updated in the field. But as a whole, I don't see a negative impact on my research other than working too much and at my own time. Yeah, I I agree that this has been a really interesting year indeed. Thanks, Shivara. Yeah, very interesting time. So what future directions can you see yourself heading with your passion for astrophysics research? Yeah, I would really like to continue exploring the mysteries of FRPs. And for that sake, I'll be moving to the Netherlands next year to work on localization of repeating FRBs using uh, the European VLBI network. The main goal of the project is, again, to understand what produces an FRB. So I think I'm at least set for the next three years, and I'm really excited about the position, and hopefully we'll get some good results. You'll have a wonderful time. There's some great research coming out of the Netherlands now. Let's look a little bit closer here at something. Technically, how do you localise FRBs using ASCAP? Right. So when an FRB arrives at the ASCAP telescope, it is basically identified in less than half of a second. And the last 3 billion measurements, I'll repeat that, 3 billion measurements, which is basically only three seconds of data from every operational ASCAP antenna is frozen and is saved. And then data are steamed offside for offline supercomputing processing, which we called as the correlation, which basically turns this raw data into an image. So the FRB signal is then detected in the image and hence we know its address Therefore, the FRB has been localized. Once we know the address of the signal, we trigger optical facilities to identify their host galaxy and finally obtain their distances. Sensational. Thank you. Now, the mic's all yours, Shivani, and you have the opportunity to give us your favourite rant or rave about one of the challenges that we face in, say, the lack of diversity and opportunity in science communities, in outreach or science denialism or science career paths or your own passion for research or our human quest for new knowledge. The mic's all yours. Thanks for the microphone, Brandon. Um, There are basically so many things I can go on, but I think today... I like to talk about remote observing and its implications. Well, since I've been traveling to many radio observatories this month, it's something that I have been thinking about. I realized that I missed so much being on site with the telescopes and with the engineers who keep these amazing instruments running. 
in the good old days, the observatories used to be filled with astronomers, and there was a constant exchange of information between astronomers and engineers, and, and everything was really vibrant. However, with the remote observing, things has changed. The remote observing may have its own advantage, but I think it has worsened the communication between astronomers and engineers, which I think is really essential for maximum scientific return. So uh, engineers are also very much interested in learning how we use their machine to solve the mysteries of the universe. And they're always open for astronomers feedback and suggestions to make the best of the instruments. So the site visits should definitely be encouraged, especially for students. And there is definitely some work that is need to be done to ensure that the communication between the scientists and engineers is restored. And I think additionally, as scientists, on our, greater, on our greatest discoveries, should not forget to ex express deep gratitude to the people who keep these amazing telescopes up and running. And yeah, that's what I like to say. Thank you very much. That's beautiful. Now, what else should we look for in the near future? What are you keeping your eye on? As you know, Brandon, FRB field is a very fast evolving field. So I would say definitely watch out for more discoveries and studies of FRBs and their host galaxies. And I think in the coming years, we are getting close to finding these sources of these enigmatic bursts. And also if there is more than one channel of FRB production. So watch the space. Fantastic. I think there's a lot of people keeping their eye on the archive server and all the new papers that are coming out. It's a very exciting time. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Shivani Bandari. On behalf of all our listeners, it's been really fabulous speaking with you. Thank you especially for your time and your busy schedule. And We'll encourage all listeners to check out at Shivi Bandari. That's this at symbol S-H-I-V-I-B-H-A-N-D-A-R-I. She's there on Twitter. Congratulations on all of your fantastic work. And I'm really looking forward to seeing your next discoveries out there. Thanks very much, Shivani. Thanks a lot for having me, Brandon. And it's always a pleasure to talk about fast radio bursts. Awesome. Okay. See you, Shivani. Bye, Brandon. Thanks. And remember, Astrophys is free and unsponsored. And we're very happy to recommend that you can always get the latest and best space news from Rami Mandal at spaceaustralia.com. And another great astro podcast is The Scientists with Kirsten Banks and Dr. Ankel Lopez Sanchez. And for observers and astrophotographers, always check out Dr. Ian Musgrave's Astro Blogger website. Till then, isolate, take care, look after yourself and your loved ones. And please do wear a mask when you can't socially distance yourself. Radio Wave!